0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. <laughs> what's your What's your series that you're doing right now? Well, I had a series, and then COVID happened,
1: and it just all... Yeah, yeah, sure. It, Everybody's like that, but yeah. No, I feel like you just. I'm doing a series called No More Normal that I'm starting in uh, July when we go back. Okay. And. Um, Normal comes from the word norm, which is like an angle for a carpenter's square. And so I'm doing some Matthew 7 stuff. And when you realize the ground, as we rush back to normal, do we want the normal we're rushing back to? Oh, look
0: at that. I like that. Like do do some rule of life stuff like this is the kind of people that we should be. Yep, last
1: one is called Life Rule. Yeah,
0: there it is. Life rules, I see.
1: either you have a rule of life or life rules you. There it
0: is. I like that. That's good. Well, friends, now that you know what Jonathan is going to be preaching on this month, let me tell you... (laughs) Are you recording? Yeah. I said I'm recording right now. Now, a lot of you friends... Get ready for some
1: awesome.
0: Now, I've had... um, There's been some some comments from my listeners about uh, a specific little absence, or specifically an absence of a little man from Arkansas... And uh, here, here's one of the, the correspondence I received. Uh, hey, Luke. Greetings again from Australia. I get that it's a tricky time over there at the moment, but I wanted to write you about my little mate, Stormo. Where is he? Where's he been? He strikes me as a prepper, homeschool kid, moved to the family ranch in Alabama or wherever it is. I I haven't seen or heard from him for so long that I'm worried he's gone into prepping beast mode. I feared that the next time I see him or hear from him, I'll be flicking through cable TV and stumble upon Doomsday Preppers, where old Jono is talking to the viewers about the hole that he dug in 2020. We want him back! There's an exclamation point. My last email, I mentioned the rhythm of the monthly wrap-up episode and how much I enjoy it. Whenever it came back around, I would know that it's time to vacuum my car, uh, top up the oil, and (laughs) squeeze the anal glands of my dog. Currently... Currently, the car's filthy. It's running as guts, uh, running rough as guts, and my dog has been dragging his butt for months. (laughs) It's it's my nickname. Is it my nicknames for O? Do they sound condescending? I try not to refer to him as my little mate Stormo or little Johnny anymore. If that's what it is to keep him away, let me know that I'll exclusively refer to him as Stormovich, Big Daddy Storm, or the Storminator. Much more alpha male, if that helps.
1: Would, well, at first, yes, it would. Okay, all right,
0: then uh, let me keep going. I'm missing his his nasally tones and Calvinistic perspective <laughs> so much that I went back through previous episodes and listened with great joy to the episode last year when he let us all know that his favorite, uh, spelled with the Australian O-U, not just the O-R, favorite movie, was Fifty Shades of Grey. That's the sort of gold that he brings to your show. Wait. Anyway, I trust that you're supporting him through this time. Let me know if I can do anything to help him from over here in Australia. Much love and concern. Nathan Berry. Nathan, thank you for that. That's that's really thoughtful that you care so much about Thank you, storm, Nato.
1: Sto- thank you, Nato. Stormo.
0: Um, so p- people have wondered, are you okay? Uh, have you gone into prepper beast mode?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, just climbed out of the shelter to... <laughs> Uh, record this because we don't get great internet in the bunker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, hopefully, I, I've I've really been off the grid for the last six weeks. I'm assuming that COVID nineteen has taken over the world, mm-hmm. and ultimately, that's the main storyline. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's all that's happened in the last six weeks.
1: Uh, oh, good to be in the sunshine.
0: Do you do you see any difference between Alabama and Arkansas?
1: Oh my goodness. I wish we had Alabama's football team. Yeah, that's the big difference. Uh, And (laughs) Alabama has more of, they were better at racism. So, (laughs) I I mean, like you go to the civil rights movement and we've got like two sites and you go to Alabama and they've got, there's, there's a lot. A lot more. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, they. I'm not saying people in Alabama are more racist than people in Arkansas or, for that matter, you know, New York City, but um, they just, they really streamlined things back in the 1800s. Well, so, yeah and that's the main difference was
0: was the uh, nascar race i figure you know this uh, because it's nascar stuff did wasn't there a nascar race this last week where there was you know some sort of racial attack like a noose hung in the locker of the one african-american driver yeah was that in alabama i feel like it was
1: uh i mean i'm aware of the story um and it it, bubba watson but i i don't know where that happened well just
0: look look at the back of the cup you're drinking out of because i assume all the cups you have have the nascar schedule (laughs) printed on them (laughs)
1: Oh that's good. <laughs> that's really good. Oh, you and NATO have a lot to talk yeah. about.
0: <laughs> Nathan my man. He he's he's doing his right. Oh
1: man. Thanks for the support, man. I hope I hope your dog is relieved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god. Uh, I, I don't even want to touch that. That's what um
1: yeah, that's
0: moving that's, on. Yeah. Um Well, welcome back. It has has been a while. Uh, Things have been a little bit crazy. uh, As uh, the prelude to this podcast, let us know that uh, your sermon series is scheduled up, but everything else has been completely out of whack uh, with everyone's life, it seems. But as a homeschooler, this is basically just normal for you.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I was emailing somebody yesterday that, boy, I've always been a trendsetter, (laughs) and now we're... (laughs) Yeah, life, life definitely does not feel normal. Yeah. But, um, remember, dude, it feels like forever ago that we, you know, like a month into COVID-19 did a thing and we're just, man, we're so grateful for life yeah. and it's made us, and then, and then now we're like a hundred plus days yeah. in and, uh, it doesn't look like things are, um, it looks like a lot of people are going back to normal, even if we shouldn't. Like, um, yeah, boy, it just it's fatiguing, isn't yeah. it?
0: Yeah, there has been. Yeah, w- once we got on the other side of school being out, like that was a big change. But I think every everyone assumes that uh, like just doing an online service is easier, but it seems like every pastor I know, even the ones who are doing an online service or now going back in person. Like it's just so much busier. There's so much more stuff and creating contingency contingency plans and worrying and learning about things that you you never thought you'd worry and learn about. But maybe that's just every facet of life. I feel like to be so narcissistic to think that it's just pastors might be uh, a little bit presumptuous.
1: I I do think there's more um, weight right now to people who have any responsibility in calling or congregating people together. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so, I, yeah, I don't think it's just pastors, but I, I think they're—if you have any kind of, you know, so like school administrators or yep. teachers who have influence in the future, um, those kind of things there's additional weight. And I don't—I would imagine other people feel like this, but I, every pastor that I know, one of the things that we feel guilty of—it's like there's just a level of guilt because the work is never done. Mine right? And that seems like it's been amplified 10 times um, because you feel like um, you want to be a good steward of the money that people are paying you to be the one who helps the church be equipped and you know, not that you do everything, but you're, you know, you're just helping to equip the saints and um, now there is you know, you're not in the office as much. Other people can't. Um, so it feels like every time you decide, you decide I'm, I'm going to do this and not that, yeah. you feel more guilty for the things that you are allocating your time to. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I
0: mean, it, it seems weird just the way that we're even trying to interact with someone. Like, you know, yesterday there was someone who was uh, you know, having a surgery, went well and all that. But, uh, you know, it's not like I can go up there and sit in the weight room and or even just stop I, by and just... You know, pray with someone before. Like, there's that kind of stuff is off the table. I've done, uh, like a a new family is interested in Westover, want to get connected. So I was like, yeah, we're supposed to meet, but I guess we're just gonna Zoom and like everyone else is Zooming for everything, and that's fine. But it's just it's not the same. I, and so since then, I've you know had coffees with people and I'm you know interacting using responsible precautions, of course, but even once we open up service a couple of weeks ago where we have both an online and in-person offering it, in per, it, like it's, it's not, it, it's a poor substitute for what it was. And I know you guys are a few weeks out from that, from, from doing that with y'all, but it's the, the things that make church church aren't available to us. And that's the responsible thing for us yeah. to do is to, uh, to withdraw from those for a season, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, Here's the thing. It's yeah, like this. I, I love ice cream. Love ice cream. And I recently switched to uh, like this healthy fake ice cream stuff. And I'm used to it now. But if I ever have like real ice cream, I can't go back to like the healthy stuff because it tastes terrible compared to it. And it's like we're eating. There's literally farm animals in the background uh, for you to live in.
1: That's my rooster, Peter. Yeah, that, I see what you did. So that's, that's a, an addition to that, That's a quarantine thing. Well, I don't know. Is it is it hillbilly or hipster to have? Chickens yeah, I don't. Th-
0: I don't think you're in the hipster zone. Uh, you don't need to worry about that being what you're called ever.
1: So you can have chickens in Portland and you're hipster, yes. but if you have them in Arkansas, you're, you're hillbilly. just Arkansas. Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. got it. So got what it. I was saying with the ice cream metaphor is that we've had like a, a poor substitute for so long that. It, it, it's not the real thing. It doesn't taste like it. It doesn't feel like it doesn't experience
1: it. Yeah, I've had your ice cream and been with you in stores when you meticulously buy it. So yeah. I'm aware of your crummy ice cream.
0: It's not bad. If you...
1: Yeah, if now, that's all you, now. If that's
0: all you eat. Anyway, whatever. So, um... <laughs> no.
1: Oh, yes, I get, I get your metaphor. Right, it, church, church is like that right yeah. now. That's a good metaphor. Okay,
0: thanks. Thanks, that's fine. Okay. Uh does Peter I thought it was like three times, the Rooster Crows. I feel like you're you're
1: No. I think he knows who I'm talking to, so he's <laughs> trying to remind you of all the worst thing you've done. Nah. Um dude, since this has happened, I have uh kind of been podcasting. Really? Like not yeah, well, just for P V and just for um um Zoom, so not a not a podcast oh, at all. But. I thought you
0: guys were doing like the cup with the string thing.
1: Ah, <laughs> Is- oh. oh, that's good. No, we, we're using the Zoom <laughs> machine. <laughs> um, but no, I've done it with uh, Jeff Childers, Mike Cope, Richard Beck, Scott McKnight, Sean Palmer. Um, and just trying to... Because it's, you know, one of the strengths about this season is that you don't need people to fly. You don't need people to travel half a day to get to you. And so just our mutual friends have been resource and encouragement. I had Scott McKnight on um, his Fellowship of Difference and kind of his new perspective on Paul.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do that stuff because the strength of our tribe is that we really care about the Bible. And um with the whole Black Lives Matter thing, people can be as politicized as possible. But if you can legitimately convince them that this is a New Testament issue, um, they they tend to find it compelling. So that's what I was trying to do yep. there. Anyway, I, I'm doing what you do. Yeah, days. you're basically me.
0: The uh, One of the sermons that I did just to... Um, standalone sermon talking about the pandemic. I I played a couple clips from the Tom Wright interview and I was like, you guys are already watching on screen. I bet you do. Why did. don't I just drop in a couple of Tom Wrights? So that's what I did.
1: And, and here's what he said about me being a friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, f- before we jump into Tom Wright, uh, how's, how's be freeing your monsters, man. It feels like this is going to be the most surreal season in your life because You've had a lot of stuff happen in the last eight weeks, uh, and one of them is you—you you dropped a, what Jason call it, your sophomore album. The,
0: yeah, the the sophomore album. Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it is not the ideal time to release a book um, that is uh, not talking about current events, and uh, sure. so yeah, I mean it's it's underwhelming because you don't have any in person events, you don't have. You know, book signing. You can't travel and speak anywhere to talk about it. You can't do any of the normal stuff about book launches that make them feel like a real book. Are you are you in Jurassic Park? Because it feels like there's like a (laughs) dinosaur of some sort crowing in the background. Like this
1: is
0: (laughs) what is that? Dude,
1: I live out in you know five acres, man. So this is. This is my life, and you would much rather me be outdoor than inside with five kids. Yeah. Okay, where right. well, it would sound more like Jurassic Park. Okay, not less. Whatever.
0: Um, but yeah, it's uh, so yeah, uh, books released and it's cool to see people reading and checking it out. And but it, uh, it, yeah, it, you know, it's not the same as actually seeing people in person and doing that kind of stuff that uh, typically. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, befriending your monsters is the poor man's. Henry Nowen, and it's, um, <laughs> I mean, you're... <laughs> how, how rich do
0: you think Henry Nowen was to be a poor man's version of that? I mean, he was probably like a vow of poverty already. So this is...
1: This is basically like the, yeah, no, the I mean, median
0: income of Arkansas version? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> is that too much? Was that too low. much? That,
1: well, it's too, I mean, it's, it's close. It's... It, it's you, you hit your target. What it's worth. <laughs> that's the way to just sh- sh- shut me up. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is um, the poor man's. Like I definitely ripped some ideas off from uh, Henry Nowen. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh,
1: I like I like your I like your Jonah stuff a lot. Oh, nice. I think that's a really good way to um, to actually make Henry Nowen more accessible or have more of an on ramp into. His three temptations of Jesus, and I, I honestly think he's mm. that in the name of Jesus book is pretty close to a central yep. Christian, you know, kind of catechism book. So, for for what it's worth, all, all joking aside, it, I think it's a great book. Yeah. And um, thanks, Jonathan. I hope it. I hope it moves. Thank you. Um, but. I mean, one thing. Right now, you can't do book signings, but book signings stink unless you're Stephen King or John Grisham.
0: Yeah, there's some truth to that,
1: right? Or at Pepperdine. Yeah, um, which was always great because it kind of <laughs> made people have to come by. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, because Mike would set up the uh, book signing at the door, so you can't like leave the place right, without right. seeing whoever's doing the book signing. So yeah, that is a nice touch. Thank you, Mike Ope and Harper, uh, but. Um,
1: yeah randy harris and i did a book signing we had both leafwood books come out at once and we did a book signing at hastings back when they were open in abilene and it was the most awkward night of my life and you know i've had a lot of awkward moments
0: yes, definitely
1: um because somebody would want to come maybe buy randy's book <laughs> and not mine <laughs> or they were friends because abilene's a small city and they would not, they would have come in to buy you know something else and then they would see us there and yeah well, you, there was definitely some guilt purchases mm, that's, um,
0: that's um, pretty much every author's worst nightmare and no one no one is. actually wants yeah. to do that yeah so the book is uh, not making me uh, do those at this point so yeah it could be worse it could be worse yeah uh, the uh, speaking of Tom Wright uh, did you get a have you checked out his book. Got in the pandemic?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I did immediately pre-bought it the day it um, became available for pre-order. When, it's um, out
0: now. Like, I, I got a paper copy in the mail like a week ago. So, it's, you've got it, right? Okay. Yeah, it's out. hmm Yeah. It it was weird when and that book first, uh, like I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is going to be the the biggest issue that people are going to want to talk about. Like this is going to be the central social conversation. And uh, it comes out, and I had to wait. I think I pushed it back a week or something because it it just wasn't the front and center issue anymore.
1: It would be time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is weird. It's a it's a stinking pandemic, yeah. and um, you know, I can I couldn't have imagined, you know, a month ago that anything would be, other than nuclear warfare, um, would have been, you know, taking the front page of the papers. Um, So, yeah, I heard your little, hey, everybody, um, Mm. we recorded this podcast back when we (laughs) thought. Yes. And it was a good podcast, man. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the tasks of pastors Is translating that to people who aren't top-notch theologians and kind of – because most of the stuff he's addressing, I think, is the kind of Christian cliches that are going to keep being said by the people who aren't going to read N.T. Wright. Do you know what
0: i mean yeah it's it's those are the things that people yeah. are going to say because they're very accessible and they don't have anything to replace it with, and so even if the implications right. yeah. of what they're saying haven't been all the way thought through on like personally, people will say what they've heard because they don't know what to say in a tough situation well how do you what, what is God doing here? Uh, I don't know, we just trust that uh you know this is all part of god's plan like that's that's yeah. easy to say but.
1: Can, yeah um. You know, I really like his stuff on lament. Um, I found that a helpful place for me in Arkansas with, cause I, I really love these people and, and, you know, they getting out of the world of where people are dealing with big ideas about theology all the time, trying to help just. These good and godly people who they don't think about you know this stuff all the time, and it, it, lament often feels disrespectful. You yeah. know what I mean. Um, there's a book by Karen Zacharias where she talks about it in a way that I've found helpful. Where she talks about her her dad died in um, the Vietnam War, and she was there when two military people came and told her mom that you're now a widow. And so she started ministering to women who lost their um, husbands in war. And she told a story about lament that I thought was really helpful for and accessible for lamenting to God in hard seasons. And it was about this woman who was a Marine wife. And there were two Marines that were dispatched tell her that she was a widow. And when they showed up at the door and, and started explaining that her husband had died, she began to scream and then she began to beat on their chest. And then she stepped back and slapped a Marine. Mm. And my brother is yeah. a Marine. I don't know what your experience is with them, but they're not known for their sense of humor or being cuddly. And Karen, Karen, Karen Zechariah says, do you know what that Marine did? Nothing. Because that's a sign of strength. And part of the thing about lament is it's both hopeful, how long, O oh Lord, and honest. And you can only do that if you really believe in the strength and sovereignty of God. So it's lament is not a dismissal mm-hmm. of the sovereignty of God. It is a... Um, belief in it and so you've got all the you know lamentations for example is basically a prayer journal of a guy hmm. who is you know those yeah. kind of things are helpful to put it on the um the a plane where people not that me and you are anybody or anybody is somehow above others but in order for them to understand like this is actually Good. a greater sign of the very thing that your instincts are telling you yeah. to do to honor and respect god um, the Jews have known for thousands of years, this is a, what that looks like in daily life, where there's disappointment and heartache and those kinds yeah, of so things. Yeah, so just
0: as the, the Marine is physically capable enough to take a slap from someone and to not think twice about it, God is big enough right. to hear, you know, our affronts at, uh, you know, God's inactivity in spite of our loss <laughs> mm-hmm. and our adversity, that God is big enough to handle that. God's not going to run away. God's not going to, uh, you know, dismiss mm-hmm. us or disown us, but it's actually a statement that I trust that you're big enough to handle this. Yeah, I like that. And I, and I think right. you're right. Sometimes people feel like it's disrespecting. And, and I've heard some people, um, who felt like for them to be honest about the questions or the struggles that they had in their times of adversity when they experienced a loss similar to what you described, that, oh, no, I never doubted, I never had questions with God. But, you know, you you pick at the surface enough, or you just let them continue to talk, and eventually what comes out is, yeah, I was upset, yeah, I was angry. And for them, they didn't feel like that was something they could direct towards God, and it's Mm -hmm. not always a sign of the trust they had in God to not say it, it's actually a sign of distrust that you think God can't handle whatever you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I was at a funeral for a child once in Glen Pemberton, who has done some really good work on yeah. lament, was saying a prayer, and it was just so raw. But I, I found myself all of a sudden realizing, oh, that's the power. Uh, uh, I still remember how he ended the prayer This isn't right God We don't We don't uh, agree with this We don't I can't remember the word he used there But then he ended by saying So there's a lot of destruction You have much work to do here God And we call you to it Amen And I feel like that's What needed to be said And That was a way of trusting God to be big enough to know,
0: Yeah, know, One of the things this that I think I think uh, Wright was arguing that I do think people intuitively get is that there is a lot of work that God needs to do in times like this, and his move to say, and the way that God works through uh, or in times like this are through the people who, who wear God's name. And yeah, I think people right. intuitively know that what matters most isn't why it happened, but what do we do next? Or, or So I don't sure. think that was like some revelatory thing. Like when I had that clip of Tom Wright saying that in a sermon, I think everyone at Western was like, oh yeah, that makes sense already. Like we, we intuitively do that. It's not like that's a this grand uh, epiphany. I, I think people just in, intuitively go to that, but I think there are times that... Um, you know, you want to sit and ponder and answer the question of why, and we just don't get that answer as much as we get, okay, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do next?
1: Yeah, I think it's always been easier to see how God works in hindsight than, um, you know, especially right now, than in the forefront. Um, And when you look in hindsight, you almost always see how God works in people. For sure, for sure. So.
0: so Tom Wright comes out with that book. It's forefront of everyone's uh, mind. Uh, but but by the time it actually has release date, it is in some, I'm not saying it's an afterthought. It's still front and center for, you know, our day-to-day existence, but it is not front and center in terms of the cultural and uh, collective consciousness of n- not just America, but it seems like uh, many parts of our world are obviously talking about the issues of, of race, of justice, of equality, of, uh, of maybe not even reconciliation, but as much as, you know, uh, what are we doing to move forward on this? In the same way that, you know, the question isn't, you know, why does this happen, but what are we going to do now? And it seems like so much of the re- rhetoric that I'm hearing is, yeah, it's great to hear white people say, oh, I'm really sorry, black people, for what you've experienced. But the real question now is, uh, okay, so what are you going to do next? H- how has been your experience in Arkansas? Like I joke about Arkansas being, uh, you know, backwoods and all that, but I assume your experience is something along those lines, even in the Little Rock area? Uh
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know about Little Rock Central? Uh, Do you know uh, Brown versus Board of Education? Like Little Rock was ground zero yeah. for the Little Rock Nine, mm-hmm. and um, so okay. Yeah, like give um, give get, get, the listener give the yeah. listener
0: the thumbnail on the Little Rock Nine.
1: Okay, so Fred Gray, a preacher of Churches of Christ, and also a famous civil rights lawyer, argues in the Supreme Court for. Uh, Jim Crow and separate but equal not working, um, and wins. And so the Brown versus the Board of Education, um, ruling happens and it becomes a federal law that, um, you can no longer do separate but be equal because they weren't yeah. equal. I mean, it was, uh, you know. And so Arkansas decides, okay, the, the, the ruling was something like with all deliberate speed. And so, Every state was like, well, all the liberates speed could be, you know, decades. And um, so when it Little Rock Central was like the nicest high school built in the country at the time, it was just this like two and a half uh, federal money went to build like four million dollars came to Arkansas. And I think like (laughs) two and a half million dollars went to build this one school that was going to be for white kids and um, they allocated like 200,000 for the black school in the same area. So, I mean, it's just, you know, um, but that was, that was where the way everybody was doing it. And so when they're going to integrate, there's, it's this really nice school that people are really proud of. And um, so Orville Faubus is the governor at the time. And he stands up to the president and says, uh, "That's not going to happen." So he calls in the state guard, including my uncles. So they're in the state guard, who are going to prevent on the first day of school. Um, these, I think it was, it was originally more than nine um, students, black students, who were going to come oh, in. Hold on, hold on. and you, so that
0: your uncles were—they actually were brought in. They were mm-hmm. there for the day, working.
1: They were the state that guard, was yeah. stopping integration. Yeah. yep stopping integration one day and enforcing it the next because the president uh reverses the decision federalizes the state guard makes them national guard and says no we're going to go ahead and do this and so all the national media is there um it's now the only have you
0: asked your uncles multiple uncles right
1: they passed before you ever got to ask about Um, that Um, yeah. So, (laughs) but my dad, you know, we still, we still tell stories and everybody at, so what happened was they, um, they integrated, um, the governor canceled high school. Um, it's called the, the lost year of central. Uh, and, and there are people at our church that are loved and respected who, you know, didn't go to high school for that one year because so of So they,
0: the so, whole, the school was just empty for a year. No one goes to it.
1: Yeah. Empty, wow. This, this million dollar, yeah. which today would be tens of millions of dollars wow. worth. It's a, it's a beautiful campus. And today it's the only um, federal museum that is also a working, active school. So when you go to visit, you have, you'll go in and there's all these students and um, anyway, so that's that's Arkansas's little piece of history, and then there's also the Elaine Massacre, which is a, a really disturbing wow. um, thing yeah. that happened decades before, but um, again, you know, people in Arkansas are not more yep. racist than other places, but it's historical um, yeah. that that was the flashpoint for the yeah. Browns versus the Board of Education and um, so part of the thing that Every time when Ferguson was happening, when Baltimore and all the the Black Lives Matter movement initially started, I was thinking about Arkansas. And so that was a real tug for me. And when I interviewed at Pleasant Valley, I said, hey, if I take this job, this is going to be like the thing that we care about as far as justice yeah. goes. Like this is going to be – um just because i i i actually think dr king was onto something it is not good for white people any more than black true, people true and
0: yeah th- yeah no anyway, no it's so, for sure one of the things that i've come to accept unfortunately the more i read and the more i learn about some of the experiences like you just talked about um, is i would like to think oh those are terrible people and they're you know the white white people are all racist and they're just evil and i I would like to think that i would do something different than them but it a lot of the concessions and a lot of the decisions and the compromises that we found our country make during this time were people who thought they were doing the right thing but in hindsight we look back and go this Mm -hmm. is just heinous how could you do that and and it becomes more and more obvious to me that the evil in them is the same evil in me. And that, like oh, yeah, you said, sure. it's, it's not good for anyone. But for me to sit as an arrogant person in 2020 to look back on someone in the 1820s or the 1920s as though I'm so much better than them, uh, I, I feel like all the evidence would say, yeah, you would be with the majority just like everyone else, and you can't act like you're so much better. Yeah. But what you can do is respond right now. And I know one of the things that you guys did is that you went to one of the protests in, was in Little Rock the protests that you guys went to. Mm-hmm. How was that experience for y'all?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, more people were worried for us than we were.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, uh, you know, we marched with, um, we teamed up with another church and marched. And I mean, it was really emotional. And there were, you know, cops everywhere on the fringes. Mm. And I, I I reject the narrative that you either think Black Lives Matter or you honor the noble men and women who are trying to serve yep. and protect with 100%. equity. I don't think. Um, and you know I think there's all kinds of things like police uh, reform needs to happen, police culture reform needs to happen, and you can do that and still honor um, people who are trying to. Yeah. Uh, serve their communities well. Um have you heard Chris Rock's thing on <laughs> on they're just a yeah, like profession pilots. you can't have yeah, any bad yeah, yeah. apples in? Yeah. Yeah. American Airlines can't be like, look, <laughs> w- you know, most of our pilots land a yeah. planes. It's only a few of them that fly into mountains. Yeah. Um, I, I do think there's some um, obvious reform and more you know more community policing um you know the malcolm gladwell stuff talking to strangers just
0: there's a lot of work, um, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done by all of us
1: but i agree police are more they're they're they they're getting um a ton of uh you know shame right now and they're basically just a reflection of the broader society yes. and so you know, we created, our structures created through redlining and, um, the, the different structural decisions that we made over the course of hundreds of years and even the last few decades created basically two different worlds in almost every city in America. And, and now, um, we 're seeing the bitter fruit of yeah. that
0: yeah, and, and we see the, um, the fruit of that, obviously in uh, you know law enforcement, we see that in uh, the criminal justice system, where you know white people are just as likely to use drugs and abuse drugs and to sell drugs as black people, but black people are substantially more you know, more likely yeah, yeah much more. We, we see that, but we also see it, like you said home ownership where you know, white people are far more likely to own their home than black people. The, the uh, amount of finances and the wealth that a white person has to a black person, it's vastly different. The actual life expectancy of a white person compared to a black person is substantially like three years difference. And so to say that it's just law enforcement, like no, obviously, it's, it's all these different things that have created an inequity, uh, inequity in our society that every one of us needs to step up and participate in and rectify it.
1: Yeah, sure, and I don't have easy, including churches, by the way. Uh, You know, every every major institution is basically institutions are built to preserve, the and and, you know there's a ton of great stuff worth preserving and passing on from generation to generation, Um, and some of it isn't. And I, I've likened Black Lives Matter to chemo. You know, you you've got to have chemo if you have a tumor or a cancer. And, um, so right now we need chemo and we need to kind of deconstruct the stuff that, um, and again, you know, all, all, you know, that, that Tisby book that you've referenced a few times over the last, I read that last summer, found it incredibly convicting because for the same reason you, with Sean Palmer, who, by the way, Sean, if you're listening, thanks for buying my book, at <laughs> F- price book, and just... Get it off that shelf. <laughs> um, the um I I found that book very convicting in your interview with him when you were talking about um the, the man who had that orphanage. I mean it was always, you know what, I care a lot about this, but for the greater yeah, exactly. good you know, and, and you could see, I could see making those kind of concessions because I'm tempted to do it every mm-hmm. day, right? Um, but to use Sean's metaphor, here's what it looks like in Little Rock for me right now. These are good people. And over the last two weeks, I have had some tremendously encouraging conversations where people have opened up and said, you know, they've, they've lived in Little Rock, so that means that they are not, they have worked with and gone to church with and been friends with, well, acquaintances with people who are of color, but they have not shared the same realities. Yeah. And I've had, um, in a lot of ways, because people know I care about this, because I've been upfront about saying, look, I'm a racist. And, um, I I think that that's a Christian sin, and only the Holy Spirit can change us and make us to where I have all those unconscious yeah. biases. Um, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm woke and so I'm clean somehow. Um, for a Christian, it is a diff. It's mm-hmm. different. Being a racist is not the end of a conversation; it's the beginning mm-hmm. of it. And, um, these days, uh, the last two weeks, I've had a lot of conversations where good and godly people have said, I think I might be a racist. Yeah. And I- I'm just so impressed with the humility that that mm-hmm. takes to say that in a, in a world where that's basically like saying, it's, you know, I'm trying to think of, it's, it's like the unforgivable sin on social media. And, to be able to say that in real live community, uh, and in a spirit of yep. repentance, of inviting growth, man, that's that's way better to me than being yep. woke. It, have you? Uh, d- read. Well, I, I was gonna say. Well, I mean, I just think it's 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 not. Um, it, it's a, a, a chance for true christian growth that's going to not bear bitter fruit yeah in
0: uh in ibram kendi's book uh, how to be anti-racist he talks about racist and anti-racist not as uh titles or terms that we always wear 100 percent of the time it's something that we vacillate from back and forth with every decision we're making and so to say i'm racist yeah Mm. when i listen to those uh, subtle biases that we all have then and I let those dictate my actions i 'm being racist, but when I you know work to being against racism and against you know then I can vacillate to being anti racist so the idea of never saying that you act racist is uh probably not as helpful as thinking of those as options of actions that we get to choose every like every minute every moment every day which which one we 're going to live into
1: yeah. I, I think, um, having that kind of one of the, one of the problems with uh, woke culture. And I, I really like the term. I like, I agree with almost everything that I'm hearing out of that. But one of the problems with it is, is it's back to, you know, 2016 and, you know, the whenever you start using. What happens when you get woke is you often become um, pretty judgmental of people who were just where Mm -hmm. you were. And once you do that, you close off doors of communication for that person's transformation. Because shame, you know, sometimes maybe shame is appropriate, but it's almost never beneficial. Like it, in my experience, shame tends to um, shut down conversations and people. Yep. Uh, okay, yeah. Sure. Um, we'll we'll see you in November. Yep.
0: Yeah. They you can't know? do anything else, so they're going to act. And yeah, you're one hundred percent. I like your take on that too. Yeah. And if we're ever going to have a real conversation to move forward, it, it has to involve empathy and trying to understand other people. Sure. And if we just have you know yelling across the aisle like we're not
1: moving anywhere and and this is where do you know have, have you heard of code switching no so um code switching this might be helpful for any pastors listening because i would imagine almost every church has a mixture of people and i would imagine that this kind of conversation happens in churches all the time uh, that are meeting mm-hmm. right now a white Man or woman goes up to a black brother or sister and says something like, "Man, this that was so sad watching the murder of George Floyd. Um, you don't feel like that, do you?" And the depending on the person's temperament and the level of relationship that they have, um, the conversation I I imagine most of the time, especially if they're uh, a minority in a predominantly white church, would go something like. Man, you know we're all people. People are people no matter what their um, skin color or, you know, um, which is true, you know, obviously. Um, But code switching is what you do when you're a a minority in a different culture Mm. and you don't want to – you don't want to say the very thing that could be – mind-changing because you don't know if they'll still like you you yeah, don't know yeah. if they'll still be your friend and and so you you know play a part because you know churches are cultures of niceness yep. you know and um what i've found I, i've been trying to help my white brothers and sisters with this is just given a, a few sentences like if you one is if you just mention the name emmett till um who was a 14 year old man murdered in the South. He was from Chicago and he allegedly whistled at a woman in a gas, a white woman in a gas station. And he was lynched brutally. Um, and the mom, uh, had, even though his, his body was disfigured, the mom had the funeral open casket and it was a galvanizing. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement because, lynching was just such a common experience. If you mention Mm -hmm. Emmett Till, if you mention redlining, the practice that banks had um, starting in Minneapolis and then became a federalized practice prohibiting um, black people from getting access to federal dollars for housing, preventing generational wealth. I mean, it's systemic racism. Um, If you mention that, if you ask about what's your experience like when you're pulled over, uh, not, not trying to get into, um, even the police brutality, just what's your experience? Like, um, or the talk, ask about the talk. Yeah, just even saying that phrase, the talk. Um, it tends to help your brothers and sisters of color say, okay, you're really investigating, you really want to know. And, um, do a little less code switching. Now, that does put a lot of weight on – I've seen a lot of people talk about how uh, it's not black people's responsibility to educate white people. I get that. I am not. Um, but in churches, if you're going to affect change and if your goal is to become a multicultural church at all – What I have seen more times than not move the needle in the hearts of other Christians is hearing experiences and pain that you can't write off because you love and trust those people. And anyway, that's the kind of stuff we're trying to do is help people who are at Pleasant Valley and who are black to be black and not feel like they have to leave that at the door. Um, you know, those, those kind of things I think are helpful in building a multicultural. Yeah. Church culture. Right.
0: A couple of things after you start talking about code switching. Yes. I, I had heard of that before, after you mentioned it before, um, typically it was seen as a derogatory thing of, Oh, this is someone's code switching as though, uh, you know, they're playing to a crowd or something like that. But I think like, like you said, um, uh, yeah, every one of us, when you're not the main voice in a room, you have to feel like you have to act different around certain people. Um, second of all, I think you're the tension of it's not black people's job to educate white people, um, but nothing transforms people like personal stories. And that's the tension that we're all in. And, right. uh, I think there's ways that you can go about it creatively without making... Black people wear the weight of white spaces more than they currently are. But uh, in one of those ways is by bringing in voices of experts on the subject and people that can carry some of the weight mm-hmm. that have chosen and have a calling to do this and, uh, you know, highlight and emphasizing those voices. People, uh, you know, many people have been on the show like that. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Sean is someone who has a great call into that and has worked towards that. Um, yeah, a lot of people who I think we could uh, point to for that, including, yeah, and I, oh, including some that we're gonna uh, have on the podcast coming up in, uh over the next uh, next while.
1: Yeah, my hope is that this, um, because this feels different than 2014. Why, do you, why does it feel
0: different to you? Because it does um, for
1: me too. Uh, well, one, for I mean, part of it is I'm in Little Rock and and um, Abilene. There there were minorities, but it was predominantly uh, Hispanic minorities. But people are just
0: talking about and, this more, um, no matter where you are.
1: And and you know, for, well, one okay, so the NFL and Colin Kaepernick is a totally different NASCAR. Um, you know, when NASCAR comes out strong against racism, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, so that's not what I expect. NASCAR, I, yeah, know, that's
0: that's not where we expect that to happen.
1: Um, right and um i am i am impressed one i think george floyd's murder was agonizing to watch and indefensible so i saw police cross that blue line more than any other time in history i mean i was watching my friends in abilene the police department say okay that's not us And, uh, in Little Rock and all across the country say, and and yes, and because that, that that was indefensible. And, um, the, and and I think that's really important for police to do that, uh, in the same way that it's important for you and I if a, a pastor is, you know, saying some things about God that are, uh, you know, I try to be really generous, and I think police. I would expect them to do that as well. But if a pastor is abusing children, or mm-hmm. you know, that it's not, man, you know, grace. No, that's that's the abuse of authority, and you you are not allowed. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, it, it's kind of like the Catholic Church um, scandal because nobody wants to police their own friends or their own you know it's really easy to um what's that harry potter quote i've I've said it a lot the last couple of weeks um dumbledore said it takes a great deal of courage to stand up to your enemies but it takes even more courage to stand up to your friends that's and that's true um there's a that that i was impressed with that um i was impressed with the um, the sheer number of people who I knew six years ago were in, in the more, um, you know, all lives matter, don't kneel during the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, flag. Um, I, I think it's safe to say this, but <clears throat> my brother, who I love a ton, um, and have lived next door to for the last year and a half is not going to vote the same way anymore. In the last two weeks, he's not going to vote the same way. And he's been watching like Just Mercy and I Am Not Your Negro. And he's a 55-year-old Republican um, who has <clears> – <throat> he's exactly the person that made me think, I want to come back to Arkansas for – and I've watched in the last two weeks him, for lack of a better word, get woke And it, I'm just so, I'm hopeful. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of challenges. I know that whenever churches tackle the kind of demon and principality and power that racism is across the world and and across much bigger than just black, white, and our systemic history. But I know there's, whenever you push against evil, evil pushes back. I get that. I'm not naive. But I'm hopeful and i think the church should be on the forefront yeah, of this that's good so. that's good
0: well um it's good to have you back on Jono. i feel like uh, the, the people are going to be happy man. i feel like uh, especially one friend of ours down in australia is going to be really excited to hear your voice and uh it it's great to have you back on
1: it's good to be back man i i've been i've been listening hey i know you lost your mom and we've had plenty of conversations offline and stuff. Um, dude, I, I would, uh, I, do you want to talk about a break?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I usually, at least last year I did this, but I, I for the last five or six years, I've taken July for like a study break and uh, and just like family vacation. And uh, one of the things that I find, especially this time of year, is that I don't feel like I have a whole lot more to say and I need to just stop talking mm-hmm. for a while.
1: We've, we've thought that for yeah, that's quite fair. a
0: bit. I, I left that so. one wide open. Uh, thanks for taking that one. So uh, what I'm going to do in the podcast is uh, I'm going to re-release some episodes that uh, we've played uh, over the last couple of years, and uh, some that I think are going to be pretty timely, and uh, so you'll hear, uh, I'll, I'll do probably a brief intro before them, and then I'll play those for the next couple of weeks, and uh, so that's what the month of July is going to look like on the podcast, some re-releases from old episodes that uh, I think are especially poignant at this time, and then when we get back to August... Uh, I already got a slate of episodes that I'm very excited uh, to record and to share with you all. So um, that's what we're looking for in the podcast for the rest of the month or the rest of the summer. Yeah, July, Dude, August.
1: So I, I knew your yeah. mom, and she was such a fan of mm-hmm. yours. Uh, you know, I always tried the banter of, you know, stuff that yeah. we do, but your mom would not. What was she An on eight. the Enneagram? An eight. Yeah, mine too, mine too. And she would not tolerate me teasing you. She just, she took your, your line. And so here's, here's what I'd, you know, want you to know. First off, man, I'm glad you're taking a break because sevens, you tend to, you know, just push through, go to the next thing. I think it's really good and healthy. Um, but second off, man, your mom is so proud of you. Like, she she always was and still is. May she rest in peace and rise yeah, in glory. I appreciate that, man.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your kind words and um and and all the help you've been uh you know behind the scenes during this time. So I'm thankful for uh you being a good friend. Yep. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Have a good day yeah, live. Well, I appreciate it, man. And uh we'll have you back on sooner rather than later. But uh
1: you better. They, have They want spoken. more
0: Stormo, so we'll got to give them to that. Uh, give get them that. All right, man. Good stuff. Thanks See for do. checking out Newsworthy with Norseworthy. Right. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.